And as we settle in, let's go ahead. I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't know where 1 Samuel is, hey, there's a thing called the table of contents in your Bible. There's no shame in looking at it. Uh, but uh, 1 Samuel in the Old Testament is right after Ruth. And so, uh, yeah, we'll be in 1 Samuel 18 today. And we're going to finish up. Uh, our first series of the summer. Every summer we kind of take uh, some time just to really pull back. And uh, we don't necessarily, usually we don't go through an entire book through the summer. But we'll, uh, some summers we've gone through a psalm each week. Uh, but this summer we're doing two different series. This series that we're finishing today called Gospel Friendship. Where we're looking at how, uh, man, we as the church, uh, the family of God are called to, uh, man, befriend and be a friend to others in light of Jesus calling us friend, right? Uh, so we're going to finish that today. And then next week, we are going to start a series called Storyteller, where each week we're going to look at one of the parables. We're looking, man, what are the, these stories that Jesus taught, uh, these things that he said that sometimes seem too simple, but also very confusing? What do they mean for our lives? Uh, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, but as you turn there, as we uh, settle ourselves, I want to uh, begin... By stating this, that today what we're going to look at is we're really going to press into the difference between consumer friendship and what we are going to call or what we have called gospel or covenant friendship. Okay, so we're going to look at the differences in those and and really um, what we're actually called into and the problem with being a consumer friend. Uh, but, you know, as I say that, I, I want to say that I can't tell you uh how many times that I personally have experienced or I've had conversations and heard people, maybe it, probably you included, I would say all of us included, uh, where we have had frustrations and hurts when it comes to what I'm going to define as consumer friendship. If you remember over the last two weeks, in light of what we've already seen, as followers of Jesus, friendship is not just some word that was created and made up for our own benefit and self, right? No, friendship has always been part of the Godhead and as image bearers of God, we are to both be a friend and befriend others in light of Jesus, as I said in week one. He says, I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. You see, our identity, if you are in Christ, your identity has been changed. And therefore, our view and our embodiment of friendship has to change. We can't continue the way that we've gone in the past where we do friendship the way the world does it. You see, there's a difference between uh, uh, selfish friendship and self-sacrificing gospel friendship. We have to learn from God's Word. And in learning from God's Word, we have to reorient our lives around the good news so that we might engage in what it looks like, as I shared last week, to learn to let our guards down and let other people in. Because, as J.C. Ryle says, true and deep friendship halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. And so today, if we're looking at the difference between a consumer friendship and a gospel or covenant friendship, how would we define consumer friendship? Well, I think consumer friendship just simply, and we're going to press into it and really flesh it out later today, I would, I would define it as this. A one-sided relationship 
where party A is always consuming and drawing from party B while never seeking to pour out oneself to the other party. In turn, while sustaining party A in the short term, it does not last. Because guess what? I want you to hear this. We were never created to merely consume, but also give of ourselves. It goes all the way back to the garden. God creates Adam and Eve. They are in the garden. They have everything before them. They are in God's presence. And what does he tell them to do? He says, give of yourself by being fruitful and multiplying. By filling the earth with God's glory. He doesn't say, hey, just sit back. Like there was, guess what? There was work in the garden and it was good. After the fall is when toil came. But this is what we've always been called to. And so when you think about this type of consumer friendship, when you think of party A always draining and consuming and yet never giving of themselves to the other party, this is why... We continue to drain one friendship after another. As I said in week one, the the, the consumer friendships, they always have new friends that are their best friends while their old friends are their ex-friends, right? Like that's what it looks like. Like if you are always, if you always have a new best friend, there's probably an issue. And if those people that you used to call your best friends, they, you don't like them anymore, you don't talk to them anymore, you cast them off, there's a big issue. And thinking about consumer friendship, I was trying to think of an example of, and there's countless examples, right? Some of them are emotional, some of them are literal things that happen to us. And so uh, I'll just begin, before we press into the emotional side, which is really where I think a lot of our uh, consumer friendship struggles and, and unhealth it lies, uh, let me just tell you about an experience that I had when I was uh, with roommates in college. So when I went to 45 schools before I graduated with a bachelor's degree, uh, the second place I went, I moved to Lubbock for a year because, hey, why not go to Lubbock, Right. I don't know why you would, uh, but um, I moved to Lubbock with, with three other guys from my hometown, and uh, we uh, decided to rent a house together. I wasn't living on campus. I wasn't going to university. I was going to junior college, so I didn't have to live on campus. And so we get there, and the age range, the oldest person in the house was 21. I was the second oldest at 19. And then the other two guys had just turned 18. They had just graduated high school. And so what happens when you have four idiots in a house is you're going to struggle to be friends, right? And so we get there, but we are excited. And amongst the four of us, we had one computer. My friend, I talked about him last week, Fatty, uh, that's his nickname. That's what my children call him, Uncle Fatty. Like he had a computer. And so when we sat down to set up house rules about who was going to clean, which house rules for four guys under the age of 25, maybe under the age of 30, uh, they don't work. Uh, And so we sat down. He says, look, guys, y'all can use this computer to do homework on. Um, And, you know, we laid out some ground rules with that, because guess what? At that point in time, uh, there was no Facebook. That's how old I am. Uh, There was no Facebook. There, There was, but it was only for big universities. And so we didn't even know what it was yet. And so uh, we had one computer. And it worked well for a while. It was totally fine until 
the booger battle of 2005, as I call it. So one day, I'm in the living room. We're all hanging out in the living room except for Fatty. He's in his room. And all of a sudden, he starts yelling and screaming. And he comes out of the room and he is heated. And I'm trying to decipher. He is yelling so loud and talking so fast. I don't know what's going on. And then I realize what he's saying. Someone, not me, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and put myself out there. It was not me. Uh, someone who was younger than I had wiped boogers, boogers, not one, not three or five, but probably you have to count with hands and feet on the wall next to the computer. And so he is yelling and I immediately, I'm like, hey, dude, calm down. We know who it is because we automatically knew which roommate it was. And we're like, it was him. And, and so he begins to unload. And the thing about it is this guy admitted it. He said, yeah, it was me. I did it. And we're all just looking at him like, what are you doing? You psychopath. Like who, who un, over the age of three does that, right? But you see, the issue that, that I had, the issue that we all had wasn't the boogers on the wall, but is that he looked at us as a so-called friend and he looked at us as, it's not a big deal. What, what's the big deal? Yeah, I did it. Who cares? You see, the thing about it was, it wasn't about what was on the wall. It was about, there there was no respect. There was no honor. There was no care for a person's belongings in their room and just human decency, right? You see, he, and we saw it over and over and over again through his immaturity and a misunderstanding of what friendship was, man, he just continued, he just consumed everything. There were groceries in the fridge. He consumed them. He didn't care whose they were. You know, there was something, you know, uh, that he wanted. He consumed it over and over and over again. I mean, that's one of, one of many examples and I, I, of, of relationships that are just consumer in nature that frustrate us. That uh, at times, and we all have ex- shared experiences where it hurts us. We become wounded because we don't feel cared for. We feel like, man, I'm just giving all this and there's nothing... Coming in return, there's no care for me, my belongings, my life. And I think while we could give example after example, man, I, I think that, that it's far more likely and far there's far more pain when we talk about this in the emotional context. You see, for most in life, it is the emotional drain of poor friendships that wears on us the most, does it not? It's the pouring out with no follow through in return that really wears us thin. And what that causes is that oftentimes over, we become calloused, we become angry, we become cynical. But as I shared last week, we begin to shut down and put our guard up and we won't let anyone in. And I want us to hear this just kind of pressing in today. That's a wrong response that withers us more than protects us. And so what I hope to do today is press in and look at friendship based on God's word. And I want to look at the problems associated with one-sided friendship or consumer friendship. And then I finally, I want to push us towards this calling and this charge of gospel friendship. Or as another term we're going to use, covenant friendship. 
But before we jump into 1 Samuel 18, let me share two things. First, I want to encourage you not to just sit there today with a mindset and heart that you're automatically a good friend and others are the ones that need to grow. Like maybe you're sitting there today, you're like, um, you kind of like already making glances, right? Or you're just thinking about, I can't, I'm going to send this, I'm going to share this sermon with so-and-so, right? They need to know. That's called being passive-aggressive. It's not the right heart, okay? Don't just sit there and think that you're automatically a good friend and others are the ones that need to grow. I believe that we all need to grow when it comes to being a friend and befriending others. Because none of us are perfect at it. Some are better. Some do it in healthier ways. But we all can grow. I think along with this point, I would encourage us to allow the Spirit, because guess what? He's the one that needs to do the work. He's the only one that can change our hearts. But I want you to allow the Spirit to press you to be honest with yourself about the kind of friend you are. But I'd even take that a step further. I would encourage you to ask others close to you to be honest with you about how they experience you as a friend. And don't be surprised if you get a response you may not like. Okay? You asked. And so if you are asked, this is how I would respond. I believe this to be a healthy way. To respond. If someone asks you, hey, how do you experience me as a friend? This is what I would do. I would say, well, this is one thing that I experienced that is encouraging to me as a friend. And this is another thing that, man, that, that, man, I think you could grow in. In light of God's word, in light of what we're called to as the church. Which brings me to the second thing is that we need to understand that in life, there are degrees to friendship Because not all friendships are the same, nor should they be. And I hope that that lifts a weight today. So much of the time, maybe we're programmed to believe, hey, I have to to present myself in such a way so that I can try to be everyone's best friend. I make the joke a lot, half serious, that everyone's my best friend because everyone loves me the most, right? And I, you know, at times I'll just walk around like that. Uh, but I know inside that I can't be everyone's best friend and they, everyone can't be my best. Like it's not going to work because there are degrees and levels to friendship. And I believe that because we get this wrong, that is one of the issues when it comes to healthy relationships. And so when we think about relationships, they can really be broken down into four categories. Impersonal relationships, acquaintances, Casual friends and then close, deep friendships. And what I believe, and this comes from a lot of experience, a lot of brokenness and a lot of wounding, is that the tendency for most is to lump the first three, impersonal relationships, acquaintances and casual friends, into the same category as close friendships. We have one word for friendship, one word for friend, and it encompasses everything in our culture. We've condensed close friends into a catch-all. And I don't believe, because some would say, yeah, it's because of social media. Because on social media, I can be a friend with everybody, right? If I don't like them, I don't even have to block them. I can just hide them. But it still shows in my numbers. I'm still meeting my quota. 
I believe that we naturally do this because guess what? It, lumping everyone into the same friend category is easier to keep up with, but also, and I think this is the real reason, it allows us a scapegoat and a way out when things don't go well. You see, when everyone is in the same friend category, it's easy to write people off and move on, is it not? I only have to allow people to get a certain, they, they can only get so close to me. Because everyone, right? Like there has to be an average of closeness. You see, when all relationships are the same, the solutions are limited and most of them involve putting the guard up, not letting others in and using others for what you need and then moving on when things get tough or when you disagree. And I'll just say this up front. The church is very guilty of this. I don't believe the biblical church, but consumer church. Let's just let, let's let's define it as what it is. Consumer church, which I believe by and large, much of the church today, especially in our context and culture, is a consumer based church and it's wrong and it's sinful. The consumer church is full of these types of relationships. And that's been my experience as a pastor. I had a friend, a buddy that just planted a church. I'm on his kind of advisory team. And uh, he just messaged me. He was like, man, how do I deal when someone that's on my core team leaves the church? And I'm like, well, just, man, love them well, serve them well, mourn and grieve that, but also probably get ready for the next one. It wasn't callousness. I was just trying to be like, hey, that's a part of it. And sometimes it's because people aren't called to be a part of this family. They, they God had called them somewhere else. But man, so many times it's just like, well, I didn't like something you said. So I'm out. You stepped on my toes a little too much. You said something I don't agree with. Whatever, I'm out. And I, I think also just in terms of our church, like, man, I think that our MC leaders feel this a lot of time. And I'm not saying that just because I'm an MC leader. And y'all love me and care for me so well and my family and mine so well. But man, when's the last time you told your missional community leader how much you appreciate them? Or do you just go to their house to consume food and consume their home? Do they know what you mean to them or what they mean to you? I think over and over again, I'm, uh, Haley and I are heading to a retreat today. And it's a pastor and wives retreat. And I can guarantee you that something that we're probably going to wrestle with and talk about and, and, and discuss is the weariness of relational expectations when it comes to the church. And so we see this. And I think we just need to sit in the fact and the realization and that the church is guilty of this and we probably need to do some repenting. And so in response to this, what we're supposed to do is note where relationships are on the spectrum because, again, they're not all the same. We're to create healthy boundaries and then we're really, really give ourselves, like really give yourself to the few close friendships you have. And I'm not talking about like you have to be cliquish where it's like, hey, you can't come in. We've met. We have our three. And that's all like. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about, man, you know those people that care for you and love, for, love you, and man, they're there for you all the time. Man, give yourself to those relationships. Pour your life out and yourself out to your missional community. Understand the weight and the value of close friendships. 
I mean, if you want a quick, easy one that you're just like, hey, I need to know. Like, if you're married in the room today, guess what? I've already said it three weeks in. Your spouse is your best friend. They are. You may not act like it, but they are. So you need to start acting like it. And so, fellas, I'll just say this. And you, we, we need to learn to open up and care for our wives emotionally. To when they say something to it, don't just brush it off. But be empath- learn to grow and be empathetic. I know one area I need to grow in is Haley will ask me something and I'll just say, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, I'm fine with. When she's really, she'll look at me and she's like, no, tell me what you really think. Like, being willing to engage and talk. And then wives, and, and I, I want to say this, uh, both, these can go both ways, right? So what I just said for the husband can be for the wife, and what I'm about to say for the wife can be for the husband. This is just experience and things I hear and things that are shared and, and yada, 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 just life. Um, wives, honor your most important friendship by not talking bad about your husband in public or in private. Honor them. Lift them up. And so if we're going to do this, what we don't need are better formulas. What we need is to look and see that God's Word is full of relationships that model healthy friendships. Not perfect, but repentant, constant, and pursuing relationships. You see, we're to look at our friendships in light of God's Word and the redemption of the Gospel. And we should be able to say that as even as we see in the garden when Adam sees Eve and he's like, that's the one. That's the one I want. That's the friendship I want. And God looks at it and says, yeah, that's what they're made for. That's very good. That's how they're going to display my glory. So in Scripture, in the story of redemption, we see this over and over and again. But I think the greatest of these being the friendship between Jonathan and David in 1 Samuel. And so let's read 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4. And as we journey through God's Word, I want you to begin asking the Spirit to give you an honest answer to this question. Do you have healthy gospel friendships that are similar to Jonathan and David? If not, why? And if yes, do they know and would they say the same? Let's read, beginning in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, David, that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Okay, so quickly, a little background on the two characters in the story. First, we have David. David is God's chosen king for God's people, Israel, after rejecting Saul, who was the king chosen to rule by the people. The people say, we want a king, and that's the king we want, because they look at the outside, but God looks at what? He looks at the heart. And so chapter 18 immediately follows... David killing or God, let me say this correctly, God using David to kill Goliath. Don't miss that. David didn't kill Goliath by his own strength. God used David 
David had faith that God would move and defeat Goliath. And so now Saul has brought him into his palace. You see, Saul, and if you read the story, what you realize really quickly is that, man, Saul is jealous. And not only is Saul jealous, Saul is a consumer friend. Saul has this mentality. You see it in verse 2. He says he wouldn't let him leave anymore because what Saul believes is keep my friends close and my enemies what? My enemies closer. But then we have Jonathan, and, and Jonathan is the oldest son of King Saul. He is the next in line of lineage to take the throne. Not only that, but Jonathan was no pushover. He had actually proved himself to be mighty in battle. If you look at 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan had already won a battle against the Philistines. And yet what we have at the beginning of chapter 18 is that immediately following David's interaction with Saul, it says that Jonathan's heart was knit to the soul of David and he loved him as his own soul. Now a few things here. First, friendship. Gospel friendship is a supernatural work of grace in the life of the Christ follower. And the reason it's supernatural is because our bit is what? Our bit is self. It's not to sacrifice for others. But it is a supernatural work of grace that knits our hearts together first to Christ. And then to those that he, that, that he places us in close relational care with. Secondly, what we see in this passage is that God knits or draws the hearts of Jonathan and David together for the purpose of the story of redemption moving forward through their lives and friendship. Guess what? Who comes from the line of David? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Jesus comes from the line of David. Jonathan gets to experience being a part of the story of redemption by being knit together to David. And man, I believe the same holds true for our lives and, 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 and deep friendships that we are to have. You see, your gospel friendships, your covenant friendships are to be marked by the proclamation of the good news to the world around you. The world should look at the way we do friendship and say, y'all do it different, what's so different about it and why? And then we get the opportunity to proclaim good news. But today, do your friendships do that? Or are they simply for the good of you? Guess what? It's either one or the other. And at times, even it can be one, and then we can, the, tem- the temptation is that we would slip into the other, right? And then what we see is that friendship is sacrificial in this text. You see, in this moment, Jonathan marks the relationship with something that many of ours do not. A willingness to lay down his desires, his longings, and in his case, future glory for the sake of another. I mean, if you look at Jonathan's life in contrast to Saul, uh, Saul is the epitome of consumer friendship. Because he wants to keep David close so that he can consume and continue to elevate himself. And what it leads to is he starts trying to murder David. Again, Jonathan already had all the accolades, the name, and yet he says, he says, man, not not me, not my comfort, not my needs. He says, I'm here for the other person. 
Which leads to one of many covenants that would be made between these two good friends over the next three chapters. If you read from chapter 18 through chapter 20 or 21, Jonathan and David just make multiple covenants together. First, before God. Oh, wait. Let me say this. Gospel friendship should carry the mark of covenant. First, before God. But more so, and and we don't talk about this a lot, which is why I believe we struggle so mightily to be good friends, is that we should go into deep relationship with others in covenant friendship. I mean, we do so in marriage. We're supposed to in marriage. Like marriage is a covenant where you make vows to one another. I don't even know that we fully understand the weight of that a lot of times. But this is what a covenant does in terms of every relationship we, we have. Again, beginning with God and flowing out from there. Covenants give explicit and personal structure to love. That's what a covenant does. It gives explicit and personal structure to love. It says, it looks at friendship and it says, hey, they're not, there's not one catch all. It says, no, my closest friendships, this is the, I'm making, I'm making a covenant. I'm making a vow to them. You see, our lives and our relationships, specifically our gospel friendships, are to be marked by covenant. We are to go into our deep friendship saying, this is what I'm committing to do for you so that you can flourish. And in light of you flourishing, guess what? I get to flourish as well. Which again, man, is that not a picture of the gospel story? That God would put on flesh and He would call us who were undeserving of friendship friends? And then he would commit himself through what he calls, he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. He would shed his own blood to make a way for us to not have life. But he says, no, you have a life that is abundant, that is flourishing. But without covenant, and man, if we're honest, we like that. We, we don't like having friendships that are costly and make a sacrifice. And uh, there's not an easy exit plan. The reason we like that is because we can get in and get out and get on with our life, even if it means destroying others. You see, a lack of covenantal commitment is what is destroying the life of our relationships, specifically in the life of the church. You see, in life, is your first thought when you think of the church and friendships, is is your first thought one of covenant or do you see them as something to be consumed? And I would argue, and I wouldn't say this, this is not a general, but I would say, man, by and large, again, from experience, brokenness, wounded, even my own self and my own flesh, I can think of church and friendships, specifically in the church, as something to be consumed. And so we know what we're called to. We are called to gospel friendships built on sacrificial covenants in light of Jesus saying, I call you friends in light of knowing that, okay, because of our identity in Christ, we are to let our guard down and begin to let others in. What practically then marks these types of friendships? Well, I think the quick answer is constant consistency. 
Healthy friendships, while imperfect, are always constant and consistent. And so in closing, what I want to do is I want to look at how the good news reveals our problem of consumer friendship while pointing us to a better way to be a friend and befriend others. Now, over the last few weeks, I've said it more than a few times, be a friend and befriend others. And so I just want you to understand exactly what I mean. I don't want any confusion or... Y'all thinking I'm just repeating myself, saying the same word, because I believe there are two distinct things. When I say be a friend, what I mean by that is that you would receive friendship from others, that you would allow others in. When I say befriend, it's that you would pursue others. And that you would give of yourself. So let's look at the difference between consumer friendship and gospel friendship as we close. And we're going to begin. This isn't an exhaustive list by any means. I could probably go on and on and we could probably sit here and have a conversation and just think of all the ways consumer friendship happens versus gospel friendship. But let's begin with consumer friendship. So when we think about consumer friendship, as you wrestle with consumer friendship, as you allow the spirit to even reveal areas in your own heart and life, you're like, yep, that's me. A consumer friendship is built upon the foundation that I can enter and exit at will. Consumer friendships drain and consume with no thought for the other person. Consumers use the other person so that their physical, emotional, financial, and control needs might be met. A consumer friend complains more than they encourage. A consumer friend only wants to be affirmed, but never confronted. Is that, if, that, if that's your first response today, when it's like, hey, I want people to affirm me all the time. But as soon as someone comes to you and say, hey, you're kind of missing this area. You're just like, oh, no. And you just start getting the rocks out. Or you're just like, you look at them. That's the aggressive way. Okay. Some of us are more passive aggressive. And it's just like... I'm just going to shut you off. I'll show you by removing myself. Consumer friends always expect. A consumer friend always expects to be asked how they're doing so they can unload. And yet they never ask in return. It's like they're always like boiling up and, and I guess you're like, hey, are you? And then they're like, okay, bye. And it's, but it's always like that. A consumer friend creates wrong and or unspoken expectation and mets out passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive responses when those things aren't fulfilled. It's crazy train. A consumer friend talks but never listens. They want to share but never allow others to share. Uh, if, if you think about your friendships, and you know nothing about the other person, not just their name and what they do, but you don't know, you know nothing about their heart because you're always talking about you. You are a consumer friend. So that's just a few. We could go on and on. But let's look at gospel friendship because guess what? It's better news. It's what we're called to. It's more freeing. It's more fruitful. Gospel or covenant friendship sticks it out because it's built upon the good news that Jesus is our firm foundation. 
which gives us peace, identity, and grace in light of the fact. But guess what? He will never leave you or forsake you. So I can go into friend relationships and I can pursue deep friendships because even if that person hurts me or wounds me or even if they forsake me and leave me, guess what? My firm foundation didn't. Jesus has not. Gospel friendship brings life to relationships, both through serving and sharing. These friendships know how to serve and how to listen. Oh, that's not what I meant to say. They know how to serve and now listen to this. Be served and are willing to ask for help. Some of our friendship relationships aren't there because they are the, those that we call friends. They're like, we don't ever ask them for help when we need anything, even simple things. I'm not talking about like, hey, I'm, you know, I need you to help me move or whatever. I'm talking about like, hey, I'm struggling today with some anxiety. Hey, I'm feeling really, hey, I'm, I'm just really impatient with my kids right now. Will you just be praying for me? Gospel friends seek to encourage, even if that means speaking hard things. I said last week, encouragement, like we, we are called to encourage the soul, not stoke the ego. So you can be an encouragement through sharing even hard things. Because as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This means that A gospel friend can give and take affirmation and confirmation with both repentance and grace. These kind of friends look out for the well-being of others by genuinely asking how others are while also being ready to share their hearts and hurts with others. Gospel friends seek to create healthy expectations and are quick to apologize or repent when they fail to meet others' Expectations or to voice their own. Man, one of the things, and I think we should really grow in this, is that we would just learn how to say I'm sorry. That we would quit being so prideful in relationship and just humble ourselves and say, hey, I'm sorry, I missed it. These type of friendships are quick to listen and slow to speak. They know the other person well and they are known well. But as you hear those things, like, why in the world would you do that? I mean, it seems a lot easier just to be a consumer friend. Having deep gospel friendships, that seems like a lot of work. And not only that, it seems like a lot of dying. Because it is. But the only way you can do this is again through an understanding of what has been done for you. When you begin to understand and see God's grace and Christ's friendship, you will begin, you will begin to be a better friend. But that's the only way it's going to happen. You will continue to struggle to befriend and be a good friend until you allow the good news to sink down deep into your heart. Only then will you be freed up to friend in healthy ways that proclaim the good news to the world around you. You see, our goal, our calling as disciple makers 
is the same calling as it was in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with my glory. Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you. You know, immersing them in the life of God's family. It's the same calling. Fill the earth with my glory. And what if we began to do it through the God-ordained means of friendship instead of the 15 better ways to get people in the doors? You see, I believe that the way we do friendship is going to be a direct correlation to how we will be good neighbors to Brennan, which again is our mission statement if you didn't know it. And as I said in week one, neighbor and friend in the Old Testament are the same word. If we want to know how to be good neighbors, we have to learn how to be good friends. And so how will we respond and what kind of mark would we make on our city if we began to live out gospel friendships? If we got serious, if we, um, if we became what we were called to be, we are the better way, right? Because we proclaim the better way, the only way. We should do friendships better than the world. Doesn't mean we're going to do them perfect, but we should do them better. And so today, what do your friendships look like in light of the gospel? We need to ask ourselves that. Beginning, if you're married, with your marriage. And then from there, like, man, those who are those close friends? And do they know that that's, you consider them a close friend? Would they describe that in the same way? And the next, how might we embody what we know to be true? I was listening to a sermon and the guy said that yesterday. He says, hey, we have a lot of know, but we don't embody what we know oftentimes. We know we're called to be good friends, but are we going to embody that? Knowing it is easy because I can keep it here. Embodying it, man, it's going to cost me. And then lastly, what needs to change for you to be a better friend to those that are close to you? What needs to change? So I'm going to have Ashley come back up and I want us just to spend some time in prayer and reflection. And uh, man, I want to ask you to uh, allow the spirit just to move and work and and maybe begin to reveal um, just the state of how you do friendship how you are a friend, how you befriend others. And man, what does that mean? What needs to change? You would ask God, man, just to to give you the grace to empower you uh, to pursue that. That we would, not only that, but that we would do that together as God's family. We would say, no, we're all in this together. This is what we're after. And that we would be different than the culture around us. Along with that, we are going to share in communion, which today as we share in communion, this is a an image and a picture is a symbol of what Jesus has done for us in calling us friends and saying, hey, this is the new covenant of my blood. He says, I'm going to pour this out so you can, you can have a flourishing, full life, a life in me. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come and share in this today. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what it means for God to call you friend, man, come and talk to me. I would love to sit with you, but we ask that you not partake uh, because, man, this... Um, Man, this is meaningful. This is deep. This is a cause for deep celebration in light of what Jesus has done in our lives. So we're going to share in communion. I'm going to give you some time to respond, and then we're going to sing. Um, 
And then we're going to celebrate some more. But let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that, um, that you call us. Not just a deep relationship, but a deep friendship. And that begins with you. God, I thank you that you are not a distant God. That, 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 that you are near to us. And not only are you near to us, that you say, I don't want just want relationship. I, I, I call you friend. God, in light of that, let our lives be so transformed by that reality and truth that we would grow in what it means to be a friend and seek to befriend others. That we would stop just merely consuming and that where we are, that we would repent, be it in the church. And in the life of the church, or be it in man, just our, our close relationships. That you would give us new eyes to see what friendship is to be. But not only that, you would empower us by your spirit to actually embody that with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.